Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Number three, market expansion so that we bring more investors and buyers and capital into the market to support the growth we're looking for. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior, and welcome to another Tactical Tuesday, a short form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. If you listened to our last Tactical Tuesday, episode 160 with Chris Brousher of Sunrun, then you no doubt have a primer into the important policy work happening on our behalf on Capitol Hill and in the corporate boardrooms. But legislation is one of those things you need to keep an eye on. So today I thought I'd bring in Washington Insider to give us the skinny on what's new and what to watch. Bill Parsons is Chief Operating Officer of the American Council on Renewable Energy, also known better as ACOR. We sat down at the REF Wall Street Conference recently in New York City to discuss the latest happenings in Washington, D.C. We discussed the three big picture principles that ACOR is fostering. That's tax treatment, fair market pricing, and attracting more investors to renewables. And Bill outlines the key findings of ACOR's recent survey gauging investor confidence in the U.S. renewable energy sector. You can find more Tactical Tuesdays on topics just like this and bifacial, perk modules, flow batteries, O&M, and so much more over at mysuncast.com. And while you're there, do check out the Suncast tribe where you can be part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Click on that member button to learn more. But for now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, today we are live at Ref Wall Street with Bill Parsons, the Chief Operating Officer of the American Council on Renewable Energy. For those of you familiar, you'll recognize ACOR by its initials. Uh, it's a national nonprofit organized to unite the finance policy and technology sectors of our business and accelerate our transition to renewable energy. Bill, welcome to Suncast. Great to be with you, Nico. Fantastic. The pleasure is all mine. You have a distinguished career in service on Capitol Hill and uh, bring that experience to ACOR. We're just finishing what is perhaps your flagship conference, right? It is. Uh, yeah, you're right. We run three throughout the year. Renewable Energy Forum in D.C., Ref Wall Street, and then our Renewable Grid Forum in San Francisco in October. But I think it is fair to characterize Ref Wall Street as, as kind of a flagship event. It has been for many years and must attend. For the our finance. 16th year this year. Yeah. Great fantastic. attendance, fantastic program. So glad you could be part of it. Absolutely. And thank you for the invitation. It was, uh, it was a very stimulating conversation. The hallway was a buzz. It feels like there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of business discussions at this conference, which you don't get, you don't need to get the pleasure of seeing that in the hallways at, at every conference. So kudos to you guys. Thank you. Well, another way that you guys are 
also doing a fantastic job is in your advocacy. I enjoy the emails from Alex and your communications VP on the ways that ACOR is on the on behalf of the renewables industry standing in the gap on Capitol Hill. One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on Suncast today was to talk a bit about a few of the things that are happening on Capitol Hill and more broadly the impact in our industry. A year ago, ACOR created a campaign coined uh, $1 trillion by 2030, the American Renewable Investment Goal. And just this past week, you produced a new survey and progress report. So I'd like to spend some time talking about that. But I'd like to also explore, given the amount of time that you've spent on Capitol Hill prior to ACOR, some of the things that you see happening on the fringes that are going to influence the sector. But first, let's jump into the survey and progress report. Perhaps it would be useful to explain what the campaign is all about yeah. and then dig into some of the findings after you've done the survey. Great. It was this time last year, ACOR did its first renewable investor survey. Based on the results of that survey, ACOR launched the 1T by 2030 renewable investment goal. This was considered sort of a moonshot at the time. This is, you know, roughly twice our business as usual scenario. Mm -hmm. We had a charge from our board to go big. So we thought that this was something that was achievable, but also indicative of our uh, maturity as an industry. I mean, this is for the seventh or eighth year in a row now, BlackRock has listed renewable energy as the number one recipient of private infrastructure investment, roughly $48 billion. We thought it was really important to kind of announce to the world the scale and, and scope and order of magnitude we're talking about here, in part for its own sake, just to level set, but in part because we have some really big challenges ahead of us in terms of climate and not a lot of time within which to accomplish them. And so we decided to go big. We, we set up the 1T by 2030 investment goal. The report you're referring to this year is kind of our one-year status update, is how are we doing and how are investors feeling? The short answer on, on each of those, I can just bullet some highlights for you. In 2018, between renewable energy and what we're calling enabling grid technologies, mm -hmm. things like storage, things like enhanced transmission and, uh, and other enabling technologies, the sector attracted $56.7 billion. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's going to be a baseline going forward. That's a credible start, but people who can do math will divide a trillion by 12 and figure out it's, you know, 30 billion short of what it's going to need to be. And so we need to kind of celebrate the credibility of the start and also take stock of, of what's going to be needed. One critical insight our CEO, Greg Whetstone, uh, offered the group uh, yesterday morning, the attendees here, is that the investment in utility scale wind and both utility solar as well as uh, DG is strong. I mean, it's 24 and 22 billion, uh, respectively. It's only about eight on the enabling grid technologies. Mm. And a recurring theme, I will tell you from our panelists, this conference was the need for transmission, the need for modernizing the grid, the need for storage. And so we see a big chunk of that difference in terms of the accomplishment of the 1T uh, by 2030 goal year in and year out over the next 11 years. The big growth area is going to come from that enabling grid technology column. The other key results people might be interested in in terms of the renewable investor survey we look at over three years, investor sentiment is still very strong. It's at a 77% out of 100. Uh, so that's a great degree of optimism looking out over the next three years. In terms of asset classes that capital most wants to flow to, energy storage, again, was in the top spot this year tied with uh, utility scale PV with wind not too far behind. We had great participation in the survey 
over 70% were C-suite executives who were kind of in control of the purse strings and in a position to speak authoritatively about their plans. Over a third said they plan to increase their allocation to renewables by 10% or more in the next year. So I'll leave you with, with sort of those nuggets, but set in the context, and this was also a, a, a recurring theme and kind of the context within which this year's Ref Wall Street conference happened, we've got some fairly powerful but not entirely congruent forces converging on each other right now. One is the kind of growth we're just describing and the kind of optimism and capital flows we're describing. The other is the sunsetting of the tax credits that really built this industry. In some ways, you're kind of pulling into the present a lot of economic activity that wants to take advantage of those tax credits before they disappear. It's not clear what happens and what replaces those tax credits in the capital stack once they're gone. Now, solar will retain a 10% tax credit, so it's not quite as dire for solar, but it's a material change. And you'll get different answers depending on who you talk to. But I think one message coming out of this conference was we will be doing renewable deployment in a post-PTC, ITC world, yeah. uh, but it's going to have to change. It's going to have to evolve. Our job at ACOR is to make sure it doesn't slow down. We need to accelerate. We need not to slow down. So we can't have a cliff 2021, 22, 23. That's really what we're looking at. And maybe that's a nice segue to kind of what we're looking at in terms of Capitol Hill and what those federal policy drivers might be. I think I'll highlight for those who perhaps haven't read either the press release or the report yet, we'll certainly put that on the blog post. But Bill is not reading from a stat sheet. This, uh, he, he has internalized these, these numbers and this data. I'm incredibly impressed. I mean, I'm looking at the press release and almost to a point, you know exactly how this data rolls out. So I'm impressed by that. Thank you for so eloquently expressing it for us. What other packages on Capitol Hill should we as an industry be watching out for? Where is there opportunity and where is there potential risk from a legislative perspective? Yeah, great question. I'm going to outline three big picture principles that we operate from, and then we can get more granular about what that looks like in terms of specific legislative initiatives. The first thing is that everyone in the renewable sector ought to be insisting on a level playing field of the United States tax code. Mm. So we just talked about the sunsetting tax credits. I will be honest with you. And uh, if you walked around you know, the rooms at the conference this year, you would have heard a divergence of opinions on that point. And you also heard that from the stage. Some feel the industry is mature, can, can move on without it, might even be simplifying, might even be rationalize some of these contracts and, and sort of the pricing that, that they're coming up with. Others point out correctly, and I think ultimately, as a matter of first principle, this is where ACOR lands, that when your competition, and here I'm talking about the fossil fuel industry, continues to get tens of billions of dollars a year in government subsidy, and those provisions are permanent in the tax code, it is not a working definition of a level playing field. So we need a level playing field. There are a couple of ways you can get there, but until, until we do, yeah, we can support an extension of the production tax credit. We can support an extension of the investment tax credit. I will tell you, if we had the drafting pen in our hands, our preference would probably be something along the lines of a technology neutral tax credit based on carbon. I think you mm. could clean up the code quite a bit. You could simplify things. You could give investors the certainty they need to know what they can count on and what the support is. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a 2.0 approach to federal policy where you don't have to revisit the old deals and bargains that people thought they did or didn't make and what was or wasn't accomplished in 2017 tax reform and start from a clean slate and still get the federal support we're looking for to make progress towards that 1T goal uh, looking towards 2030. The second is power markets that faithfully capture the multiple benefits of renewable energy. Mm -hmm. Here we're talking about resilience, 
this is more of a of a FERC, you know, uh, RTO ISO issue. So we're in constant dialogue with the organized markets to make sure renewable power is being priced appropriately and compensated for the multiple benefits that it brings to the grid. And the third is just market expansion, a big theme here at the conference in terms of market drivers, like why are people optimistic? Why are we seeing it was the second highest year over uh, annual growth uh, in the sector this year? There were four reasons for that. One is pretty aggressive state renewable portfolio standards. And actually, while we were here, New York State announced a big, big announcement. So that was very exciting uh, for everybody who is here and in a big load state. So that's important. Mm-hmm. So the first is RPS. Second is explosive demand in CNI, mm-hmm. right? And uh, off takers, big corporate off takers making big commitments to renewable energy. Third is increasing levels of cost effectiveness over the last 10 years. The cost of the technologies come down dramatically, wind by 70%, solar by over 88%. These are massive cost savings. And the fourth is, you know, it's not ideal we've talked about, but at least it's a predictable platform on the phase down. So people know what they have to work with so they can put deals together and they can get them across the finish line. Yeah. So the three things, just to recap, number one, level playing field and tax code. Number two, power markets that reflect the multiple benefits of renewable power. Number three, market expansion so that we bring more investors and buyers and capital into the market to support the growth we're looking for. Hey, solar contractor, do you wish you could just cut down on the time-consuming site visits your team is constantly doing? Well, Aurora Solar, an NREL-validated sales and design software firm, can help with that. With Aurora, you can determine solar access, design the PV system, forecast energy production and bill savings, and present a compelling proposal, all without leaving the office. And as a Suncast listener, we have a special offer for you. For a limited time, you can get a free Aurora license with the first annual license that you purchase. If you go to mysuncast.com and click on the Aurora Solar banner ad, you will be teleported to their website, which you can also visit info.aurorasolar.com forward slash suncast and learn more. One of the areas related to market expansion, certainly bringing on more investors, but getting investors continually behind what have heretofore been the corners of the market and solar was for most of my career considered a corner uh, generation opportunity. Uh, now storage remarkably. It's the whole square now, It is man. the entire pie. <laughs> uh, now increasingly storage is nudging solar. You know, it's tied for number one for investment. Investment interest. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Investment interest. Correct. Yeah. So solar, if you look at the DNV chart for, you know, 2050 generation, it grows in a way that many of us couldn't even contemplate. It grows exponentially right. to 50 terawatts. How do you see the legislative picture that supports the growth of storage, the continued support for wind, which is necessary for the complement to get to 24-7 baseload with renewables? Yeah. Like storage can't get to 24-7 baseload without wind and, and storage. So where, with respect to policy and legislation, should we be looking so let me tell you the story. Another thing, and one of the value adds that Acor tries to provide, we are the leading pan-renewable voice, the leading pan-renewable organization in the sector, okay? We do advocacy, we do thought leadership, uh, we do strategic communications. Part of what we've been doing recently as part of our advocacy is expanding the number of sectors and organizing the number of sectors who are asking Congress for the same thing. So for example, we have prioritized enactment of an energy storage tax credit. This year, a lot of people think they're under the assumption that it's a really challenging political environment. You've got divided government. You've got a largely unhelpful administration. 
we just got to hope for a better electoral outcome in 2020, and then maybe we can start making progress. We respectfully disagree. We think there's an opportunity to make progress this year, and we think that opportunity is called storage. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is because the technology is facially neutral, but it's functionally preferential to renewable power. Even Rick Perry, Secretary Perry, says nice things about energy storage from time to time, and the administration boosted it in its budget request relative to everything else that got decimated in the uh, EERE space. Okay, so it's not only us as an industry. We went to the national environmental community, and we got eight of the largest national environmental organizations to send a letter to the uh, bipartisan, bicameral congressional leadership saying, if you're serious about climate, you need to do storage this year. Why did they do that? And this is what I want to offer your listeners. Probably the biggest thing that happened this year in climate politics was the introduction of the Green New Deal. Right. It's faded a little bit in from the discussion, but it's been a framing thing and it's sort of been a benchmark against which, you know, climate uh, activists and advocates think about what kind of progress we are or should be making. OK, so if you're in favor of 100 percent decarbonized grid, a lot of times people launch towards the sexier items that, you know, it's, it's wind and it's solar and it's geothermal, it's the technologies and it's the clean power that, that we're looking for and that we want. And that's what we think about. when We think about a decarbonized grid. We had to engage in a conversation that reminded people that if you could step out to 2030, 2040, 2050, whenever it is that you think you want to have zero carbon emissions and you were to look around, you would see a lot more storage mm -hmm. on the grid than you see today. And unless you think you're going to get that result wholesale in one chunk, you got to take it in pieces and you take those pieces when they are presented to you politically. So we think the first brick, the foundation for a hundred percent decarbonized grid for massive renewable energy penetration turns on massive new deployment of energy storage. The capital wants to go there, but the math isn't penciling yet for these deals to get done. Mm -hmm. It's a classic case of like where solar was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. We talked about the 80% reduction in the cost of the technology. What an investment credit can do, and it's a massive success for federal policy, is it can drive deployment, which reduces per unit costs, and you get innovation along the way. And all of a sudden, something that was nascent and just beginning is wholly mature and beating every other option in many parts of the country. Storage is where solar was 10 years ago. It's an appropriate time to use a federal incentive there. And when we do, what it does, frankly, is it, it, it takes intermittent sources of energy and it makes them fully dispatchable. These sort of residual arguments that some people are still clinging to about baseload power and so forth are ended permanently mm -hmm. when you have storage associated. And right now, unfortunately, storage is only an eligible technology under very limited set of circumstances under the ITC when paired with a solar project behind the meter. It's like letting the accountants rather than the engineers dictate the deployment of this technology. It makes no sense at all. Mm -hmm. We think we're making progress on getting this done this year. And if we do, we think it's going to trans transform the grid and really unlock a whole next level of renewable energy penetration into the American electricity system. If we were to tap into the industries at large capacity as individuals reaching out to as constituents, our representatives, yeah, is there any particular legislation? I know you guys had made an opinion on the House Extenders package. Is there a legislation like that that we should be keeping an eye on? And I reaching am out? so glad you asked, Nico. Yes. No, I, 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 I'm going to be uh, very specific. There's a bill. It is called the Energy Storage Tax Incentive and Deployment Act. It is a bipartisan bill in the House, H.R. 2096, and also in the Senate, where it was introduced by uh, Senator Martin Heinrich from New Mexico and Cory Gardner, a Republican from Colorado. Uh, we'll have to check the S number on that. It's, I know it's H.R. 2096 in the House. For your listeners, I mean, if they, if they want to raise their hand and, and their voice in support of progress, towards a decarbonized grid and tackling the climate crisis now, 
rather than waiting till 2020 and seeing what we get. By our reckoning, one of the most important things they could do is to call their member of Congress and their two senators and say, please co-sponsor the Energy Storage Tax Incentive and Deployment Act. The most important thing that we could do this year, it would be transformative, but the reason I'm calling it out is because we also think it's achievable. And that's sort of the art of advocacy. Is It's the art of the possible, but still meaningful. So the bill in question, it's called the Energy Storage Tax Incentive and Deployment Act. It is bipartisan. It is bicameral in the House. The number people are looking for is HR 2096. And in the Senate, the bill number is S1142. There's this growing consensus around RE100 and the ability for us to go 100% renewables. It's clear that ACOR and, and you, Bill, have chosen the terminology decarbonizing the grid very specifically. We're going to get sort of non-ideological and not overly numerically bound on this. The point is we have a climate crisis and we've been dumping too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and methane and other greenhouse gases. And we have a limited amount of time within which to, to reverse and fix that. Rather than engaging in theoretical arguments about at the very end of the road, what percentage is or is not left, there is so much you know, achievable, important work in front of us. I mean, right now, you know, we're at about 19% you know, renewables, of, of which half of that is, is, is legacy hydro. Wherever it is you want to get, whether it's 100 or 90 or 80 or, or whatever, that's a big delta. We got a, we got a ways to travel yeah. before these distinctions start mattering. And I would say, let's get about it. And it seems to me that decarbonizing the grid may well be something that is more, we'll call it, acceptable, especially in red states. So, so it can be to different, I mean, this is an astute observation you're making. It can be to different audiences. I wasn't quite to be, I mean, to be completely straight with you. I wasn't being that calculating with my language, okay. but, but, I, but I will say, listen, if we wanted to get granular about it, could a decarbonized grid include nuclear energy? Sure, it could. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the thing. I was actually talking with one of our, our board members yesterday, and he was actually making the case. He was not at all afraid of facially neutral incentives or market drivers or whatever that were available to all technologies on a, on a carbon basis. Because mm-hmm. he said, look, in the end, we win. He said, go ahead, make it available to everybody. That's right. we, we've had one nuclear power plant brought online since 1996, right? We had 19 gigawatts of new capacity of renewables added last year. That's the equivalent of 19 nuclear power plants. Mm-hmm. We win. Our president and CEO, Greg Whetstone, there was a, an opinion piece uh, published in the New York Times in the last several months by two authors who were basically arguing that nuclear was the only thing that could save us from, from climate catastrophe. And he wrote in and he just said, listen, uh, you know, we haven't had a new nuclear power plant in, in over in over 20 years. Meanwhile, we built the equivalent of 19 of them this year alone. And that's only accelerating. Give me a break. Yeah. Renewables, given given a level playing field, will compete and win with every other technology. That's all we need. I love it. That's all we need. In the end, we win. In the end, we win. Bill is the chief operating officer of the American Council on Renewable Energy. And it has been a pleasure to have you on Suncast. Thank you. My pleasure. All right, Warriors, are there questions still lingering or other legislation that you are following that I should know about? Bill and I would love to hear from you. Would you mind posting your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter and give us a tag there? If you weren't taking notes, never fear. I've got the resources Bill mentioned outlined over at the show notes page of my blog. And as always, you can find the social media channels and other resources and highlights from these discussions at mysuncast.com click on that listen button to go to the blog page. 
While you're there, I do hope that you'll check out our Suncast Tribe, where you could be a part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Click on that member button and learn how you can gain access to uncut interviews, tribe exclusives, a Slack channel, private only to guests and tribe members. And these things just don't make it into the public Suncast feed. And of course, when you do subscribe to the newsletter, you'll be notified as episodes come available. Hey, speaking of next, don't miss this Thursday's episode with my new friend Guled Ahmed of Power Off Grid about trading goats. Yep, goats for solar in Africa. To all my current tribe members, you rock and I'm eternally grateful for your patronage. You make Suncast better. You can join them. Go to mysuncast.com forward slash member. I look forward to welcoming you into the tribe as well, my friend. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.